Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of Brown Girls Read podcast. This is your host Aman Tiwana and this is Kathy Thakur and both of us love reading books. On this podcast we bring our favorite books to you and discuss the parts that were most meaningful to us and how we found them interesting or relatable as brown girls. Today we are discussing Carry On Warrior by Glennon Doyle. It's a memoir style book where she shares stories and the best loved material from her blog momistry.com. And in her signature humor style, she talks about the hard things like marriage, motherhood, friendships and much more. Carry on warrior is honestly a crash course on life. Like you know, they should be part of our college curriculum or something I feel. Like so much good advice in that book. I know. And before we start our discussion, I want to confess honestly that there was not a lot in the book that I related to personally, but Glennon's writing is so amazing that no matter if I relate to the chapter or not, no matter if if the differences in our lives are vast, there is still so much that she says that I kept underlining. I think she's like a queen of motivational speaking or something. Yeah. Like if you're going through something in your life, if you're having a tough time, if you're struggling with really hard thing, her books are what you want to read or listen to because I actually did both. I read and listened to her book. And I remember there was this one chapter I was listening to where she's speaking to the people who are struggling with staying sober. I admire the simplicity with which she says the stuff she has to say and she gives like this step by step list to people like don't think too much just go take a shower keep doing things keep moving laugh at yourself. If you think about it these are really simple things but If you have somebody saying this to you repeatedly it will feel like you have a friend who understands you who's like your personal cheerleader who keeps you going in some way I think that's why people connect to her writing and you and I can both agree to the fact that there is a lot in her life that we don't relate to because of being in different stages and also because of cultural differences but despite that I love the commonality of humanity that she brings out which is very evident in her brave and courageous writing i find that so inspiring yeah i totally agree honestly i also skipped a lot of chapters in the book because she keeps talking about the children or parenting and i'm like whatever you know <laughs> <laughs> i don't care but the parts that i did read were actually mind blowing so let's talk about some parts that we related to i will talk about my favorite chapter here which was about birthdays and of course because i love my birthday i found it super relatable my birthday is my favorite day of the year and i'm just excited about it months before i guess i take after my dad in this because he also behaves in a very similar way and i know that people are going to find this weird but i'm one of those people who would happily celebrate my birthday monthly to give you <laughs> an idea of how much i love my birthday <laughs> oh my god you know i'm completely opposite from you i am not crazy about my birthdays at all in fact you know january is the worst month of the year because my birthday is in january and i'm like oh my god <laughs> how how does your brain work kathy <laughs> october is the best month because it's my birthday <laughs> yeah i think birthdays are just overrated because you know like you're just born and that's it like what i don't happened? know how we are friends kathy <laughs> i'm rethinking our entire relationship right now i think it's like leslie nope and ron swanson <laughs> from parks and rec <laughs> yes i can see that 
<laughs> because you know there's this Ron Swanson quote from Parks and Rec where he says birthdays were invented by Hallmark to sell greeting cards and I'm like exactly that that's how I feel it's just a marketing gimmick you know rational part of my brain gets that I understand that completely and I know that is true like there is a big amount of truth to that but I can't do anything about my feelings about my birthdays <laughs> that's just there that's a big part of me <laughs> Coming back to her story in the book. So what happens in this chapter is that she is newly married at this point and she's expecting that her husband would do something for her birthday. He would surprise her, maybe decorate the house. Maybe there would be balloons and cake and everything when she wakes up. But she finds out that there is nothing. He just goes to work. When I was reading this, I was like, yes, that is me. Somebody has written a chapter about me because <laughs> I have such high expectations for my birthday. Like. <laughs> I feel like the entire world should just stop and how dare people go on with their lives how dare they just go to work and not celebrate my birthday oh my god <laughs> you know in my life there has been such a big gap between my birthday expectations and my birthday reality it's really sad I know right like high expectations it just crushes you <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, I really like how she handled that. Like, instead of yelling at her husband or getting mad at him and not telling him why she was mad at him, she actually took him out for dinner on her birthday and explained to him how important it is for her to celebrate her birthday. Basic lesson on communication, which is such a basic skill. So important. I know, and I loved it how she handled that. Like, she cancels her birthday dinner and calls it now something like a birthday seminar, I think, or a birthday expectation seminar. When I was reading it, I was like, yeah, this is so amazing. This is how we should all be communicating. Like, if we could be direct about what we expect and what we want, instead of tiptoeing and dropping hints and expecting people to understand and show up, we would all have much easier lives, I think. There's also something else she says that, None of us can read each other's minds. And if we just tell each other how we need to be loved, it is easier for everyone involved. And by doing that, we are setting each other up for success and not failure. And that was really insightful. Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space. So you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. I recently joined as a member and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o dot c-o. One major theme that comes up in Glennon's writing is her experience with addiction and her recovery. Reading about those parts, I can't help but keep going back to the differences in our culture when it comes to how we deal with addiction and alcoholism. If anyone has read Glennon's books, they already know that she was a drug and alcohol addict for years and it took something really big to happen in her life for her to make the change to become sober. Most of us know that addiction is messy, but I keep wondering about some of the things that I have seen growing up. Like, I know of people who took drugs, who drank a lot. Now looking back, I see that society wasn't understanding of the fact that this is a disease. This is something that people need help with. It's not always a willing behavior. And I guess that's where the problem lies in a way. Because when people are addicts, they're not only going through something, they're also being blamed for it. Like it's a choice they made. Like they're consciously trying to give everyone trouble. 
And often that's the narrative that we hear also that look at these people, they're causing so much pain to the family members. But I believe that people who are addicts are going through a lot themselves. And it's probably happening because of genetics or something hard they're struggling with. But I think there's not enough room for understanding that in our society, at least from what I've seen. I haven't seen people being empathetic or understanding towards addicts at all. All I've seen is blame and disgust. And there are rehab centers, but I don't know how much good can these centers do alone without an understanding from our society, without family being supported. Like, if you think about it, it takes so much strength from an individual to stay sober throughout their life and then try to navigate without any understanding from anyone. Compare that to life in US, like there are systems in place like AA. And because of the systems, because of the awareness and education, when someone says that they are six months sober, they are three months sober, they are 10 years sober, people understand that, people accept that. And then I don't think anybody is going to push you to drink to break that. But in India, I've seen people just like trying to get other people drunk like crazy. And the whole (laughs) environment is just like so toxic for someone who struggles with addiction. I don't know about your experiences, but I feel like there's definitely a lack of understanding. Yeah, you're right, you know. But now that you talk about it, I feel like maybe I had an alcohol addiction at one point. (laughs) If you don't mind. Did you you find understanding anywhere, Kathy? I mean, I was just living with my friends. So yeah, they were very understanding. They used to drink with me. So yeah, you know. (laughs) You're talking about that understanding. Yeah. (laughs) Safe space. Different ideas. (laughs) But. But, you know, there is no awareness about it. So no one even understands that it's an addiction. Like, you know, for example, I had a friend who had a crazy addiction to alcohol. But, you know, no one even thought that it could be an addiction. Everyone was just like, oh, he drinks when he feels lonely. I mean, (laughs) that's like the basic rule of how someone gets addicted. (laughs) I know. And it's funny you brought it up because this is also something that kept coming to me when I was reading Glennon's experience that in our society, Addiction is something that's very male-centered or male-focused, right? Like, I have not heard of or seen women addicts. Like, I might be wrong. There might be hiding going on in families or maybe I never came across anyone. There are, like, different cultures. Some are liberal, some conservative, whatever. But I don't think I've personally heard of women who are addicts. Or even if they are addicts at some level, I don't think it can be at the same level as men. Based on just the stories you hear, like, you hear all these stories of men being addicts and acting out because of it, causing trouble. And it's it's always men who got into drugs and alcohol. But right. there is no female story that I can think of. And I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm really yeah. conflicted. Yeah, you know, I have never met an Indian woman addicted to alcohol or drugs. Like, not an actual addiction. But, you know, you would think that with the kind of stress women are expected to handle every day, there would be a higher percentage of women being addicted than men. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Women are also put under this pressure to be a good woman. So even if you are drinking or taking drugs, you know inherently that it has to be hidden. And because it has to be hidden, you will probably never go beyond a certain point. So when I was reading about these parts, I just kept feeling like, to me, as a woman from a brown culture, this is like completely unrelatable. Yeah, that's so true. But you know, since we're talking about unrelatable things in her book, I have to admit that some of the short essays that she has written seem more like anecdotes, which is like, okay, that's cool. But like, why did you make me read this? (laughs) (laughs) 
and that's why i find it a little longer to read and it could also be because she talks a lot about children and parenting and keeping the marriage intact and the phase that i am in life right now is so different like i'm already happily married and it seemed to me that she was you know just making up excuses to stay in her marriage and that's it you know i agree it also took me much longer than expected to finish this book and i realized way later that these were actually blog posts that were compiled into a book and oh kind of midway when i figured it out i was kind of tired of reading them one yeah. after the other <laughs> and i felt like they were all over the place maybe yeah. someone should have taken the time to compile them in a in like a chronology or make themes out of it so if there was a theme of like motherhood i think i would have just skipped it saved myself some time <laughs> yeah but to your point of us being in different places I believe it plays such a big role in books like these. My copy of Carry On Warrior is a used copy. You remember there was this one chapter where she talks about the lack of intimacy in her marriage. The previous owner of this book had underlined so much in that chapter and she had made tiny notes here and there saying things like I want that too. Aww. I want of us to read this together. And it kind of made me sad and made me realize there are a lot of people out there who are going through such stuff. and glennon's writing is helping them yeah actually that's very true in fact you know i knew i was at a completely different place because in the same chapter about lack of intimacy she says that she kept ignoring the problems in her marriage until craig her husband broke the news that he had been cheating on her for a long time and she was super angry before but then eventually you know she let it go and i'm like why why glennon why do people do that and i'm not talking about only women here even men too sometimes their partners cheat on them and they just let go is that like low self esteem fear of being single and alone once again or just the fear of explaining it to the society well that is a very loaded question gati and <laughs> one that i think only a therapist can answer if at all yeah exactly you know and that's why i think i don't think i will understand that situation until you know i'm put in that situation in my life somehow so i guess that's why also it makes it a little bit unrelatable yeah i can see that now before we end this episode what are you reading right now kathy i have just started reading this book called the great mental models it is a book that describes you know different kinds of mental models that play a role in us making various choices and decisions and they're also used in game theory a lot and i'm trying to understand you know how to use these to create some educational games pretty interesting stuff uh, what about you i'm reading the courage to be disliked right now and i have so many thoughts but i'll come <laughs> to that later i think i'm also going to start anxious people this weekend yeah courage to be disliked i'm reading it again and it's a complicated controversial discussion but yeah we'll see <laughs> Yeah that's a nice summary. <laughs> But that's all for today. For our next episode we are going to discuss The Courage to be Disliked by Fumitake Koga and Ichiro Kishimi. Hope you will be reading with us and until then keep listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Brown Girls Read Podcast. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five star rating and a comment. You can support us at anchor.fm/browngirlsread/support. Your support will allow us to continue this podcast and bring more episodes to you. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Instagram Brown Girls Read Pod and Brown Girls Read One on Twitter. 
If you have book recommendations for us, you can leave us a comment or message on our social media and you can also subscribe to us on YouTube for more content.